abortion. The mere mention of the word can trigger passionate visceral reactions, both from those who believe that the procedure constitutes the immoral killing of an innocent human being and from those who believe that a pregnant woman should control her own body and reproductive life, free from government intrusion at least until her fetus becomes viable. About the only thing the two sides agree on is that on this issue, there's not much of a middle ground. That's underscored by a national debate that has raged virtually nonstop since the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1973 that access to the procedure is a, quote, fundamental right. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll examine the fight over measures backed by abortion opponents in this session of the General Assembly. We'll start with this overview by Christopher Ayers of WFYI Public Media. Nearly 43 years ago, in 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled women have a constitutional right to an abortion. But the court also asserted that states have an interest in restricting the practice in some circumstances. And so that case, Roe v. Wade, sparked a debate that still rages to this day, both nationally and within the states. Just last year, a series of so-called sting videos released by an anti-abortion group claimed to show abortion providers dealing illegally in fetal tissue, claims later found to be fabricated. Yet the videos prompted numerous state-level investigations, including one here in Indiana, and has played into the Republican presidential primary debates. In just this week, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case over a 2014 Texas law. It requires abortion providers and their facilities to meet higher standards to continue performing abortion procedures. In this session of the Indiana legislature, several abortion-related measures have been put forward. One would ban abortion on the basis of race, gender, or disability. Another would outlaw the disposal of aborted fetal remains as medical waste. Supporters say the legislation is about valuing life. Opponents claim they impede a woman's right to choose. It's an issue that will need to be settled by next week, when lawmakers plan to adjourn for the final time before November's election. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Christopher Ayers. Thanks, Christopher. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue startups speak modalities, helping children and families coping with nonverbal autism to develop communication skills, helping people changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. I've been following the Indiana General Assembly as a journalist since 1988, and I'd be hard-pressed to think of a single session in which the long-running debate over abortion hasn't surfaced in some fashion. Over the years, abortion opponents have sought various limits on the procedure, ostensibly to ensure the health and safety of Hoosier women. As Christopher noted a moment ago in his report, this session began with the introduction of bills that, among other things, would prohibit abortions based on race, gender, or the prospect of a disability, protect fetuses with detectable heartbeats, and restrict the transport and disposal of fetal tissue. Joining me to discuss the issue are Democratic Senator Gene Bro of Indianapolis, the Senate's Assistant Minority Floor Leader, and the Ranking Minority Member of that Chamber's Health and Provider Services Committee, and Patty Stauffer, Vice President of Public Policy for Planned Parenthood of Indiana and Kentucky. I thank you both for being here, and I should point out before viewers and listeners start to question why we don't have uh, where, perhaps the other side of the else? issue. We'll do the best we can with the discussion. Uh, well, John, may I here. say that I'm, I'm... Well, I'm going to go to you. I okay. wonder, what do you make of that? I, that? I am proud to be here 
to support the position that I have taken opposing these bills, and I am proud to be here to explain to you as best I can why and why I feel that they're uh, demeaning and detrimental uh, and uh, do not fit into the legislative scope of the work that we've been sent down here to do. So I'm proud to be here. I, I don't know why those folks who are the authors and the sponsors, which means that these are their ideas, uh, I, I, would, I would have hoped that uh, if they're going to feel strongly enough to dictate these kinds of ideas uh, on Hoosier women, that they would be here to support Do you those. see this as purely coincidence or perhaps a schedule conflicts on the part of individuals? Or do you sense that there is a concern on the part of uh, the caucuses in the House and Senate that have been supportive of these measures that there is... Uh, sensitivity here they don't want to address at this I, point. I don't believe in coincidences on, on, these kinds of, on these kinds of issues. So I have to believe that there is some, uh, de some decided reason why that they have chosen not to uh, come and publicly put their positions out for all to see. And why that is, I don't know, because they certainly had no problem doing that in the uh, committee meetings and uh, during the legislative process. So uh, it seems to me, again, that this is something that folks should be concerned about, particularly those that have some concerns about these bills. Why would those folks who are so adamant about the uh, implementation of these kinds of bills, why would they not be here to explain and answer questions? Well, and I, I do want to jump into the uh, the meat of some of these bills and the merits or lack thereof, as I'm guessing you would suggest. But I also want to set the stage about where we are in Indiana with abortion regulation. Uh, how do we stack up against other states? Is abortion an accessible procedure under current Indiana law, in your opinion, Patty Stauffer? Well, certainly it has become much more difficult over the course of the last few years. And when we take a look at um, the restrictions that have been put in place in the last five years here in the state of Indiana, we are considered one of the top four most hostile states um, for access to reproductive health services, including abortion. The Guttmacher Institute, which Correct. is uh, a nonprofit, which Correct. tracks these which, sort of things. Which uh, tracks um, the number of restrictions that have been um, enacted, not just filed, um, but actually enacted and put into place. And with every passing restriction, those are barriers to early access to abortion. And we know for a fact that early access translates into the safest procedure. Um, and so I, I want to also um, highlight what Senator Bro was saying, is that a lot of these bills are put forth in the name of patient safety and uh, care for women's health. And... Um, I you, think don't, that is, you don't buy that, or do you think there is a, a modicum of that concern, or do you think that is surely, merely a, there, a smokescreen? There is uh, no question that when unnecessary regulations are put into place, um, it creates barriers to early decision-making and early access, and that affects detrimentally um, women's health. Well, let me ask you. We, we cited one Guttmacher Institute statistic, so let me throw one more at okay. you here at... Uh, my interpretation of the stats I read in preparation for this discussion suggests that Indiana, despite the, the restrictions that you just mm -hmm. uh, mentioned, actually I think there is one more clinic that performs abortions now than there was in uh, 2008, or at least maybe the, the time frame showed some surprising growth in that you would have thought that, in, as in Texas where there's talk of perhaps half of the clinics being forced to close, it, it, how do you explain that there has been at least... Uh, not a, a, an elimination, a wholesale elimination of clinics here. 
And I guess I'm not aware of the statistics that you were referencing. Basically, it's, it went from, I, it the, um, on Guttmacher, it said it went from 10 clinics, I believe, to 11. So, I mean, it's, it, on a well, percentage basis, it's significant, one additional clinic. Well, and, and currently, from the time that we've been tracking practices in the state of Indiana, um, my statistics went back to 2008, um, and that would be licensed abortion facilities. Um, we have had a, a reduction, and um, currently we have six practices, four being Planned Parenthood and then two being private practices. That's down from nine a couple of years ago. Um, we have lost providers in the last couple of years up in Gary, Fort Wayne area. So the northern part of the state certainly has seen a reduction in the last couple of years. And maybe the um, other numbers perhaps were uh, somewhat outdated that I was looking at. But, uh, well, but And the distinction probably being licensed abortion facilities versus practices performing abortions. I'm and, not sure. And if you look at, I presume these statistics I hope are fairly current, but the incidence of abortion among uh, uh, against uh, when you look at 1,000 women, uh, pregnancy age and so forth, I think it was roughly seven mm -hmm. per thousand, uh, which is less than half, if I'm not mistaken, of the national average. Is that an indication that fewer women on a percentage basis in Indiana are seeking the procedures or that it is, in fact, tougher to get them here by a factor, again, mm -hmm. it's, it's half, less than half of what we're seeing the, the, uh, the well, rate I, I think of abortion? I'll, I think there's probably a, a little bit of both of that mm -hmm. uh, coming into play. We were just discussing before coming on air the fact that uh, unplanned pregnancies are, are down, but the percentage of those who seek abortion as, the, um, uh, as, as part of the unplanned pregnancy procedure uh, is up, and so, or, or it's actually stable, it has stabilized. Um, mm -hmm. So there is still a need for abortion services. Uh, that is still an option that is uh, sought by, by women who find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy. And so, therefore, uh, we've got to do everything we can to make sure that it remains legal, since it still is legal, according to Roe v. Wade, in this country. And so to, to, to put those barriers and to make it uh, unaccessible uh, is, is a violation of, of, a, of a woman's constitutional right to access. And we should point out, you mentioned the, uh, the constitutionality. I, this, I suppose, is a timely discussion, mm -hmm. given the oral arguments that mm -hmm. took place this week before the U.S. Supreme Court, coming out of the Fifth Circuit of Texas, law in question, um, although with Antonin Scalia's uh, passing, there, there's some suggestion that uh, uh, regardless of which side of the issue you're on, you may not be satisfied with the outcome. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Well, we're certainly um, hopeful that it wouldn't be um, anything more than 4-4 split, which would send the decision back to the Fifth Circuit. Um, I think there's... And would, it would effectively enforce it in those, in, 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 those, those, in that jurisdiction correct. of which Indiana is not part, of And going ahead and closing um, facilities. Um, those facilities in Texas would remain closed as a result of a 4-4 split. Um, we are hopeful at some point in the very near future that there will be a very definitive decision um, in favor of access to abortion coming out of the Supreme Court that clarifies this um, definition of undue burden, uh, which has opened up um, the le state legislatures to all of these various assorted restrictions that have um, just hit every state, um, certainly in the last five years. And I would also like to highlight one of the points that Senator Bro was making with regard to unintended pregnancies. You know, if we are really, really serious about 
taking on and reducing the number of abortions, and we have to get serious about reducing the number and rate of unintended pregnancies. And that's an issue that I'm just very passionate about, but I've been able to get no leverage on uh, in any way. And, and that's just uh, doing some kind of a, a comprehensive sexual education program here in the state of Indiana so that young people have the information to um, make the kinds of decisions that will keep them from uh, becoming pregnant if that's not the choice that they want to make at that point in their lives. But given the makeup, I'm guessing of the House and Senate at this point, you're not holding your breath. No, uh, but but uh, you know, keep trying to figure out all different alternate ways to to get to the same uh, get, get to the same end. But it, it is very difficult in Indiana, and uh, and but that's why this bill mm -hmm. is also uh, very very. Uh, difficult uh, 1337 and I think it's 313, 313. Um, which puts in there that uh, if a female has been advised by her physician that there was the potential diagnosis mm -hmm. of, uh, of, of, of a problem with the uh, fetus, then uh, an option has been removed from her that she would not be able to uh, seek an abortion if that were the sole reason that she were seeking the abortion because of a, a lethal fetal anomaly with her, with her child. Now, she can still uh, have an abortion uh, should she choose not to have the baby, but if a physician, if she and her physician uh, determine that there is going to be a problem with that fetus and that that fetus might not have uh, might not live past three months mm -hmm. or so, then uh, an option to abort that fetus because the quality of the of the life would be impacted, or the uh, the, the just all, well, all, I think all if the there related is a issues determined with that. Lethal uh, disability as determined by the physicians. There mm -hmm. is uh, an outlet or an exemption whereby an abortion could be performed. Although I think if it's the health of the mother, right? Only risk? though if if literature or options are explained about hospice care uh, for newborns in that condition, as I, as I understand it. And for those who, who follow the intricacies here, we should point out what you just mentioned was originally Senate Bill 313, mm -hmm. had stalled in the House, and what got some eyebrows raised this week, of course, is when the other bill you mentioned, 1337 mm -hmm. House bill, which dealt initially with related but not issues, but not that particular provision, uh, was amended to include uh, 313. So for those who uh, who are following this uh, uh, on the on the, the chessboard, right. um, well, uh, let me ask you: the, What's wrong with? Uh, I mean, why should? Uh, it's sort of unsavory to suggest that abortion should occur because of racial preference or ancestry or uh, the suggestion that there might be. A, a disability, which I guess, you know, the, the, that's, who's to say what that is? That could be, you know, I a, think it's a malformed finger or toe, I suppose. For all of the, the posturing and the rhetoric, um, what this really is about is a right to privacy. And that this is government intrusion um, into the patient-physician relationship and bringing the politician into the doctor's office um, to basically regulate what is said between um, a physician and a patient. And it, I think regardless of where you fall out on the abortion issue or where you fall out under the political spectrum, people need to be concerned about that. This is a right that a woman has um, as a choice in her reproductive health, and um, they are trying to force physicians into a position of speculating about the motives of patients or forcing women to maybe not be completely honest about their concerns.
You're saying that because, ironically, I guess, or the paradox some critics have pointed out is you could just say you don't want to have a baby, period, uh, and that's okay, right? Correct. It's it, prior, you, you prior to viability. It's simply a matter that you can't say it's because of race, ancestry, or the, or the potential diagnosis or diagnosis. Solely because of. Solely because of. But again, I, I'll pick on you a little bit more, uh, and I understand the, the notion of this is an issue uh, you're intruding on the, mm -hmm. in, the, in the medical office and in, in, in a an area that's typically been the domain of, of the medical community. But do uh, you think it's okay just fundamentally for somebody to say, gee, I really wanted a different ethnicity or a different uh, hair color or different, I mean, I don't want to be flippant, right. but I mean, is, there, is that okay? This is not a civil rights issue. This is an issue about a woman's right to have an abortion. And Roe v. Wade has secured that right prior to viability. Um, and when we are talking about the, the ban, um, the ban prior to 20 weeks, prior to viability, um, that's clearly unconstitutional at this um, juncture. And so um, I think, again, it is just really, really difficult when you start intruding or um, speculating about a woman's motives um, for seeking what is a legal medical procedure. And may I say in testimony, we heard no one who presented that uh, argument right. that they would ever pursue abortion because you've never they, heard of such a case? Well, they didn't like the gender or the outcome of. Would um, you at least agree, though, that that would be problematic? If I mean, if, if a relative came to you and said, you know, this is not the baby I I, I wanted. It's not going to look quite right. The features. Let me say, I, I, I don't, I, I would not like to see abortion used as mm -hmm. a means of birth control or, Correct. or uh, to uh, make those kinds of decisions. Uh, but I am an advocate for the right to, to choose that as an option, uh, if that's the uh, route that you think you need to pursue, your physician, your family. So I, I, I am not a. Um, a promoter of abortion, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that it should not be uh, an option available to women. And also, I want to jump in. There is no evidence at all suggesting that this occurs in the United States. And yes. there has been um, reports, national reports and studies conducted, particularly around sex selection, um, that clearly um, definitively state that this is just not happening in the United States. And so to bring it forth as a yet again another reason to regulate access um, to abortion, I think, is disingenuous. And it's, it's pursuing a problem that doesn't exist Correct. as far as we know. Well, well, let's look at another provision of the bill as it stands now. And again, you know, who's to say by the time this airs, something uh, <laughs> might not have changed. That's, that's the nature of the that's legislature, uh, after all. Until it's gaveled, sine die, we never know uh, exactly <laughs> what's true. going you're to happen. That's you're right, you're right. But the notion that the providers have to have hospital uh, admitting privileges. privileges. And under this provision, that's, that's been the case. Correct. But now they would have to renew those annually. What's the big deal about that? I think the renewing of annually is paperwork. Um, that so is, okay that is just another um, you know, box that we would have to check off. I think the part of that provision that we had significant concerns around was the distribution of those documents that are documents and agreements between a physician and one hospital would then have to be collected by the state health department and distributed to every hospital in the county and every hospital in the contiguous county. There is clearly no patient safety reason for that. The other hospitals, I don't even know what they would do with that information. 
Um, and it is another way for um, abortion physicians to be identified and stigmatized and professionally isolated. And we know, again, many multiple um, national studies have indicated the harassment of abortion providers. And our abortion providers do receive um, opposition at their homes. Although you both made the point when we started, or certainly you did, Senator, if you have a position or a, a stance on this, you should be willing to come. Now, you were talking, of course, about your colleagues in elective office, which arguably may be a little different from those who have not chosen the limelight as, as medical providers. But uh, do you see this notion of annual renewal or any of the other provisions as it relates to licensure and operation of the clinics as problematic or, or not necessary, not as much so as, as the first issue you talked about? Well, well honestly, John, I, I, I see so many flaws with, with mm -hmm. this bill um, in, in so many areas. But yes, th this is, we should be as concerned about the uh, privacy and the protection of those physicians who are participating in this process as we are about the patients. And when you require the distribution of uh, these forms to go to not just the admitting hospital, but contiguous counties and contiguous hospitals, um, that is allowing for more and more information about the uh, operation of, of these physicians and the work that they do to become public and become in the public domain, which just puts it out there for folks to uh, begin to know who they are, identify where they're located, and how best to harass them uh, with the goal of hopefully preventing them mm -hmm. from uh, staying in business and continuing the work. And let me ask you also now. Which is a barrier to access. House Bill 1337, which again is now the vehicle, I guess you could say for this, now that 313, the provisions we just discussed have been migrated into that bill, that initially dealt, among other things, with the notion of a requirement of burial or cremation of miscarried or aborted mm -hmm. fetuses. Again, I, would the public say, oh, that's, that's a show of respect, that makes sense? What's wrong with that again? After last year's legislative session, um, women who are receiving abortion were given the option of being able to choose private disposition if that is something that they felt strongly about and was something that they wanted to pursue. So at this particular juncture, they would make that a mandate for every woman who is coming in seeking abortion. And I think, again, it's another attempt to, um, for anti-abortion folks to impose their values on everyone. And this is, this is basically a right to privacy. Women who are coming in seeking abortion should have the right to be able to determine in what way they deal with that situation and not have it dictated or mandated Although by the they government. They don't have to actually physically do anything to promote the cremation or the, uh, the burial, the interment. They, that's somebody else's doing it, so it's really not a burden on them, is it? Well, in terms of a burden, but I think that it's, it's a value statement and it's a judgment. And we are, as providers, required to read these statements to them that are affirming a certain position on abortion that may or may not be held by the woman seeking abortion. It, it's rife with judgment, and we try desperately to provide our care in a very non-judgmental environment. You know, this is already, the, the, the woman finds herself already in a very difficult decision. No one, I, I can't imagine, wants to uh, choose an abortion as an option, whether it's be the health of the fetus or the mother or the family situation. I can't imagine that this would be an option that, that folks would uh, easily or readily choose. And so to require that the disposition be 
um, made by the, uh, the decision about the disposition of the fetus be made by the woman who's already in a very difficult decision just adds another layer of emotional burden at a time when there is so much emotional burden uh, in, in the uh, situation. And so it's, it's just another way to exploit, and I call it emotional terrorism, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a difficult time. Well, <clears throat> hard to believe, but we have run out of time. I uh, appreciate the insights you've shared. I appreciate the fact that the two of you were willing to, uh, to be here to discuss mm -hmm. what obviously is a highly sensitive and, and highly controversial issue. Again, my guests have been Democratic Senator Gene Bro of Indianapolis and Patty Stauffer of Planned Parenthood of Indiana and Kentucky. The four caucus leaders return to discuss what passed, what didn't, and why. The session winds down on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, where was everybody at the roundtable? What should I read into that? Wow, that was... Uh quite a, a non-performance today, John. You know, I, I know that... You're not talking about me. I mean, you're the, the people who are not <laughs> you, here. You yeah. showed up, Senator Bro, um, and, and give her credit for doing so because a lot of the other advocates of, of her side didn't show up as well as those who are on, on the side of some of the bills that, that did pass. And I think you have to look at, at both caucuses in, in both chambers as uh, being at fault in this. It's kind of surprising that, that neither side, neither party wanted to send people to defend their respective positions and positions that, that they really um, gave some heartfelt discussion to and, and some real passionate discussion to on, on the floor of the House and the Senate. And what I don't understand from a political standpoint, yeah, it's an election year. Some of these people are running for even other offices. But if you look at their districts, in many cases, they're probably, my read would be overwhelmingly anti-abortion or pro-life. So what would be the harm in, in being seen as being a zealous advocate of that position? I think you're asking the, the wrong wrong person that question here. And, and in fact, we did see an awful lot of, of political posturing on, on both sides on this, particularly from some of the, the pro-life conservatives who, who put out campaign releases and legislative releases, you know, talking about how proud they were of this legislation during the, the process, so it, it's disappointing that they weren't here to, to talk about it. Well, where does it go? Because there is some hint of, of friction between the House and the Senate because while the, the one of the Senate bills was sort of, should we say, awaiting action or languishing, depending on your, your way you look at it, the Senate went ahead and, and took parts of a bill and put it in, and that sort of offended, seemingly, the, the Speaker. Is there, is, am I reading too yeah. much into the friction between the two, caucus, the two chambers? There, there's always a little bit of a disconnect between the House and the Senate, regardless of, of whether it's one party in control or, or different parties that control the respective chambers. And these are things that get settled in conference committee, and, and sometimes they're tactical, sometimes they just happen by, by coincidence or circumstance and aren't necessarily intended. There are a lot of different bills this, this session where, where one chamber or the other is, is kind of taking a, a poke at each other. You know, we've, we've talked in depth about some of the, the transportation bills over the last few weeks, and, and that's another one of them. So I wouldn't read too much into that, certainly philosophically on that. So I think we can agree that if the bill goes to the governor's office, Mike Pence will sign it. So the question becomes, will the bill go to, to Mike Pence's office? Uh, will we see this some well, version of this bill uh, yeah, the, advance. There are a couple of bills that are floating around out there, and, and I think something will end up on his desk, and he, he will certainly sign it. And then the question becomes, you know, does this, be, does this stay the, the law of Indiana, given what the Supreme Court of the United States has been saying or not saying? You know, in the oral argument this week, it, it seemed to be um, 
potentially that they could send this thing back to the the, uh, the circuit court for the court to review again instead of making a definitive ruling. And even though that would only affect the 5th District, certainly every, the nation is watching uh, Indiana and other right. states as well. Ed, very good. Thank you. I appreciate your insight as always. For more information, streaming episodes, and extra content, go to WFYI.org lawmakers. You can also visit us at WFYI on Facebook and Twitter. Use hashtag Indiana Lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Schwannis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Christopher Ayers, thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more on the 2016 session. Until next week, take care. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or Valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.